The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, Peter says to Jesus, if it is you, command me to come to you upon the waters. When an army or a revolutionary force is looking to take over a city, take over a country, one of the things that they target first, besides military installations, are the media outlets, uh, TV, newspapers, radio, the internet, trying to take down social media these days. And part of that is because there is truth to the fact that if you control the information, then you have control. You can make sure that the only news that should be getting out is the news that you want to get out. You can think of celebrities and their publicists. They pay someone full time to make sure that they look good. Or you can think of our politicians and the spin doctors who, who try to make sure that everything is spun in such a way that, that people think things are happening when maybe it's something a little bit different. You can think of our current news wars that we have going on in our country right now, where we have two sides fighting against each other, trying to say, well, no, we have the right story. No, no, we're telling the right news. And, and everyone's trying to decide which is right and which is wrong. And we're kind of cursed with this 24-hour news cycle of just noise in our ears all the time. Gone are the days of Walter Cronkite being on at 6 and 10. Now it's having to fill every moment of every day with something to the point that you're talking about the same things over and over again, and who knows whether you're getting it right. Well, Luther at the time of the Reformation, got sucked into this, this world that was being transformed by information. With the Enlightenment came the invention of the printing press. And the Enlightenment grew and the Protestant Reformation grew alongside it because now there was an opportunity to pursue knowledge and distribute it to the masses. 
Prior to that, information was held in the hands of two people, either the church or the crown, usually working together. And now there was this push to hear, this, this push to, to be heard. And so subversive actions were happening with the, the ability to print pamphlets and, and, and tracts to get, get things out as soon as possible. And then that turned into folks like Luther publishing the whole Bible in the language of the people, which had not really been done before, and, and getting it into the hands of as many people who were literate at the time as possible so that people would know what was there. We'll transport ourselves 500 years to today, and last week a, a video came out that, was, that went viral, of course, like everything else, of protesters, supposedly protesters in Portland, burning Bibles. And the internet exploded around this, in part because you have two sides, again, fighting against each other. You have the side who, who probably were, were cheering on the protesters, seeing in, seeing in the scripture, seeing in this, in this book information that is disagreeable. Possibly even ideas that many have used and abused to harm one another, which is funny. Because it's also the book that tells us of the Jesus who was abused for us. But there's also a segment of the population that was upset and is still upset, and I'm still hearing about it, of folks who see in this book something holy, something sacred, the good book, in which this book just in and of itself is sacred, that there's something important about it by itself to the point that this book becomes the thing rather than it being the thing that tells us about the one that's, that's more important than the thing. And so we have ruffled feathers all over the places, those who hold the Bible up as almost an idol and, and those who want to burn it down. And it's kind of a holdover of this understanding of the war of information. The, the power that is, that is held there in being able to decide on the narrative. Well, regardless of the viewpoint, regardless of where you stand, the reality is true, and this is the problem, that this book is a thing. I can hold it. It's a noun. It is a book. It's, it's something that, that can be touched it can be looked at. It can be dusted. Some of ours need to be dusted more than others. It can be memorized. It can be burned. It can be lost. It is words on a page that can be, be read with the eyes, but are they understood with the heart and heard with the ears? It can be a source of good morals. It can be a source, of, a guide for prayer. It, it, it can be filled with sound advice for us. But is it powerful? Is it able to do to us, to you, what it is supposed to be doing, where Ezekiel tells us, uh, giving us a heart of flesh in the place of a heart of stone, crucifying us, washing us in the water of the word? The reality is, church, that, that the Bible without a preacher, without one who comes and, and speaks the words in our ears to bring life, all these things are pointless without that. Without one having been sent to, to, to preach to us, to you, to me, the, the hope and the grace found in, in Jesus, of whom the Bible speaks, then it is just a book. 
It's just a, a, a pretty little thing that can hold a door open or be a paperweight. After the feeding of the 5,000, we, we, we get to this story of, of Jesus walking on the water. And it begins by it saying that he made the disciples get into the boat. The, the, the Greek word is actually he compelled them. He forced them. And, and you start to wonder, did the disciples know better? Many of them were fishermen. They probably looked off in the horizon. They saw the storm coming and said, you know, Jesus, it's not really a good day for a pleasure cruise. Could, could we maybe just you know, find a nice house? We'll, we'll tie up the boats and, and we'll wait till the storm passes and, and, and then we, we can go. But Jesus compels them to go. Well, the story fits within this whole section of Matthew, where we, we just get done with the parables of the kingdom, where, where Jesus is telling us that the kingdom comes to us in a way that we are not ready for, in a way that we do not see, in tiny little things of God's working in our midst that suddenly all we know is that life is springing up in us through Jesus. And then right after that, we're given the story of the demise of John the Baptist, his beheading. This was the one who was the opening act for Jesus. He was the opening band. He was the one who showed up and says, prepare the way of the Lord, he says. He calls himself the voice. He says that one is coming after me who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. And that one he screams out about in John saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he says that he must increase, I must decrease. This is the one that Jesus says, no one is greater than John having been born of woman. He should have been the one that would be protective, protected. Life should go well with him because he was a prophet. He was a preacher. He was important to God. And what ends up happening? He finds himself in prison and then dead. And it's right after that that Jesus gives us the feeding of the 5,000. A place to remind us that in the place of loss, in the place of lacking nothing, Jesus shows up to be our provision, to be the one who takes care of the feeding and the satisfying for us because the disciples say, we can't feed all these people. And Jesus says, I know, but I can. Well, now we have the storm. All of this being set up to showcase for us that Christ is at the center of this work of power and it's not just about information. It's about the place of where Christ is within the story. It's not just about memorizing the, the order of the books of the Bible or even knowing the stories. It's about Christ and his work there for you. And so he compels the disciples to go. Jesus there being one who can sometimes compel us, tell us, make us, force us, command us to maybe go and do something that we think we shouldn't do. Hard things. Things that we are afraid of. And yet Christ calls to us. And in part, maybe he calls to us because in doing that hard thing, he can show up in a surprising way like he does with the disciples by walking on the water. They did not expect that. They saw him coming and shrieked, cried out. They were rattled by it and they thought it was a ghost because he's defying nature in doing it. And we have him coming 
at the times when we, we are most fearful, when we're failing, when we totally understand our mortality, there Jesus is present because that is when he's supposed to be with us. He's not there to be with us at our best, at our most prosperous, at our most successful, at our most victorious. Because if you remember, it says he comes to seek and save the lost, not the found. He spends quite a bit of time in the scriptures talking to those who thought they were found and explaining to them that they're not. And then we have Peter say, if it is you, command me to come to you upon the waters. And there then we have Christ actually being present for us in our faithlessness. Because what happens in this call to Christ? Peter is actually crying out in his doubt, if, if it is you. He didn't necessarily think it was Christ. And I've heard plenty of sermons that say, well, at least Peter got out of the boat. All the other disciples, they stayed in the boat. Yeah, that's great. He got out of a sinking boat. And if you realize it, it wasn't like suddenly the wind died down. The storm didn't cease when Peter got out of the boat. In fact, he saw the wind. He saw the waves. They still existed when he got out of the boat to the point that suddenly he's in the midst of drowning. Many of our translations say sinking, but it actually the word actually means drowning. And there Peter found himself at a loss for all things. All things were gone, even his faith in himself, even his faith in Christ, even his faith in walking on the water that he was doing before the defying of nature. It leaves him with just one thing to do. And he does it. He cries out, Lord, save me. That's the cry of the sinner. That's when all information is lost. There is no information, just desperation. Nothing else is left, and all we can say is, Lord, save me. The power of the scriptures are not found in information. They're found in the merciful Christ that's given to you by them. They're found in a preacher coming to you to hand over to you this Jesus. That's the reason why Carl and I are here, to hand over to you Christ. The power of the scriptures are not found in knowing stuff, in knowing the books of the Bible, but knowing the one to whom you turn when all knowledge fails. Walter Frere wrote a really boring book. It's brutal. The Principles of, of Religious Ceremonial. I have it. If you want to fall asleep, I'll lend it to you. It's a book all about all the ins and outs of the rites and the rituals and all these things of the church. And, and he's very meticulous. But he says something very interesting at the beginning of the book. He, he says, there's more power in the, in the kissing of a crucifix than in the bloviating on the doctrine of justification by faith. And there's some truth to that. Reading a, a bulky theological text, that's fine. To, to understand the, the theological uh, uh, underpinnings of what we believe as Christians is good. But getting to the point where all we know is that there is that Christ on the cross for us. That are, there's more power in that 
than the pages and pages and pages that theologians have, have, have written for us. It's about this movement from, from God preaching to you in Exodus 20 where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore you should have no other gods but me. The movement from him declaring that he's your God to the psalmist saying, Lord, you are my God. This movement of just knowing that there in that power of God is something, not understanding it, not worrying about the information. Because information is power, but Christ is more. Information can, can help you avoid a storm, but, but it can't give you peace in the midst of it. Information can help you during this pandemic. It can help you uh, 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 try to avoid it with social distancing and masks and washing your hands and, and, and avoiding crowds and, and all those things. But, but the information can't get you, give you the hope of life once you get the virus. Information can help you know what it might be like at death. But it isn't going to be the one whispering in your ears when you take your last breath and you leave your mortality behind you and it preaches into your ear, I am the resurrection and the life. Arise, my child, and live. If it is you... Command me to come to you upon the waters, Peter says. And if you notice, there's no information given, no sermon, just a word, one word from Christ, and he says, come. And in the midst of his drowning, of his being at a loss, of even his fear and his faithlessness, he says, the one thing he can, Lord, save me, no information. All there was at that moment for Peter was Christ for him. And church, for us, it needs to stand the same. When we cry out, Lord, save me, you know, Christ is there for you too. Thanks be to God. Amen.